Well, God bless everyone who's not uh, at their cottage this weekend, and those that are, we bless you too. We uh, are just enjoying this. Isn't that great to see that yellow round thing come up in the morning in the sky? And I was trying to remember what you call that. Uh, okay, <clears throat> we've been, uh, just before we get into the message, just before I show you a picture to begin it, I want you to take out an insert from your bulletin. I'm really pleased about this and um, kind of wish I lived in Fergus right now uh, because of what's going on. And I'm, I can do this at my home in Grimsby. My wife and I have been doing this for years. In fact, we have recorded the names of everyone in our neighborhood. We have known them, met with them, eaten with them all at some time, and have prayed with several. And, and uh, we've never lived really in a, a neighborhood where someone hasn't come to Jesus over the years. And we just expect that. We don't just look for the right house. We say, Lord, where do you want us? Because you've got something for us to do. And uh, this is part of our series of walking and talking. You can see what's on the stage here with the road signs and uh, Laura, Fergus, and Emmaus. You didn't know how close they were, did you? And we used the story that's only found in the Gospel of Luke about the two disciples right after the resurrection walking seven miles, 11 kilometers to a town, and they're all confused about what happened to Jesus and why. But they didn't stop walking and they didn't stop talking. They didn't just go fishing like some of the disciples said. Ah, didn't turn out the way we want, I'm going fishing. Life didn't, you know, life is something that happens while you're planning something else. And it's how you respond to the something else that's the make it or break it issues in your life. So these guys, or possibly Cleopas and his wife, these two disciples decided we're going to stay in the game. We're going to stay walking. We're going to stay talking. We're going to stay discussing our faith. And Jesus shows up. That's awesome. That's a wonderful picture and a metaphor for how it works for us too, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus showed up and changed the way they thought. <clears throat> Didn't change any circumstances. Just changed their understanding and the way they thought. So that's our backdrop for several weeks leading up to June 2nd, Pentecost Sunday. I have some awesome stories and talk about that. And by the way, it just uh, floated into my mind, one of those visitors we call thoughts at this age, and uh, it just came into my mind that a week from tonight, there's a prayer meeting, it's our typical last Sunday of the month, and I have done something called a prayer toolkit, nine kinds of prayer, how to easily spend an hour in prayer. Because uh, part of the reason we don't spend more time in prayer is we don't have the tools. We just pray one kind of prayer and we kind of try to drag it on and it doesn't work. Or we pray silently and a silent meditation becomes our, you know, our next nap. So if you want to come out a week from Sunday night just for 90 minutes, I'm going to give you a quick uh, tour on how to pray for an hour easier than it's ever been for you. And the nine kinds of prayer to do that. <clears throat> Okay, so walking and talking. This is prayer walking. How many people here have ever done a prayer walk of sorts, like intentionally gone out and walked and prayed? So it's all here. This is uh, put together primarily by Corey, and he was the writer. I was the uh, brief editor, and uh, I, I think you cannot go wrong if you follow this. Not only are we doing this, uh, Corey, how many other churches or pastors have you met with that are involved in this? Approximate. 
Okay, about five churches, the leaders in five churches in the area are feeling nudged by the Holy Spirit that it's time to get outdoors and start praying for our community. What could happen if five churches start doing that? What could happen? A lot could happen. So let's do that. Now, the easy way to keep motivated, just follow this uh, insert here and also get on the email list for Corey's devotionals twice a week, a Monday and a Friday, which will keep us in track and attached to one of those is going to be a link or a file of the sermons because we don't have them on the website. So if somebody's, you know, you want to say, hey, you missed Sunday and they say, yeah, too bad I wasn't there. Well, you can uh, forward them an email and they can listen. And this is kind of that statement that Jesus made, go and make disciples. You remember that one? He actually said, as you go, make disciples. So let's uh, engage in the healthiest prayer meeting you'll ever, you'll ever be part of and go out and walk and pray out loud for uh, what God wants to do in your neighborhood. And we'll leave it at that. Great. <clears throat> well, I'm going to show you a picture to start off today. Um, I'm a grandparent. It's time to brag for a moment here. Okay, that's my eldest granddaughter. That's last night. She was the lead singer in a benefit concert that was helping underprivileged children, and she, she uh, won two hours in a recording studio for what she did. So, yeah. So, you know, when Taylor Swift is middle-aged, remember, her name's Abby, okay? But uh, Abby, I'm teaching Abby guitar right now through uh, WhatsApp and FaceTime, and it's fun because she lives in North Carolina, and uh, who knows, maybe she'll move to Nashville. But uh, Abby and I have been singing together, so... I'm going to, um, I'm not going to try to play the guitar part, but I want to sing a song that Abby can just rock, okay? And she's helped me with some of the inflections. It's called My Heart Must Go On by Salon Dion. You've heard of that? Celine Dion, okay? Not Salon. <laughs> S-A-L-O-N. Celine, okay? C-E-L-I-N-E. -E. Okay, here we go. You can uh, remove the picture now. I want all eyes on me. Okay. <laughs> I'll just do two verses. Here comes the finale. was that? I didn't expect applause. I, I, I know all the words. I was thinking them. I was humming the tune, but making sure you couldn't hear in case I got... That's not singing. That wasn't singing. That was thinking. Nobody sings with their mouth closed then why do people tell me all the time, oh, I was praying, I was just praying to, to myself, I was just praying silently. Yes, you can hear the voice of God with your mouth closed. You can hear him put a thought in your mind. And there are times where you're thinking and communing with God. But the Bible refers, when the Bible refers to prayer, it's referring to, to 
using your words to communicate with God. There is only one creature, one of God's creation that was given the power of words. I know there, you know, he can teach a gorilla to do sign language and, you know, get food from fridge. If you've seen those YouTube videos, that's cool. And we had a dog that could spell, okay? You know, do, you know go for a walk. Couldn't use the word walk because the dog would be, ah. So you had to say W-A-L-K. Then any, any word would W-A. You know, like, I know dogs are smart and can learn certain sounds, but they don't talk. God gave this precious, precious gift to only one of his creation, people, Adam and Eve. Now, you don't have to turn to Genesis 1, but you can if you like, but I'm just going to go through there real quick. And, and people get into wars over this, this chapter. Back in the 80s, that's a long time ago now, isn't it? But back in the 80s, it was so big about creation versus evolution. I did a whole Sunday school series on that topic and did research and all of the stuff and Creation Research Institute and all the rest. And, you know, so much of it is about how long did it take God to create the earth? If you, if you think that, you know, <laughs> you can go from, a, you know, from the goo to the zoo to you without God, you know, that's just, it just can't happen. You know, nothing can create something. Okay, but the argument is how long? Did it take a billion years, a million years, 10 million years, whatever? And when I read Genesis 1, I got the answer. I found the answer. Get ready, take notes. It's three words. It doesn't matter. <laughs> if I seem animated this morning, it's because this might be my most favorite message in the world. And I know it's what God wants you to hear this morning. It doesn't matter how long. It doesn't matter. Nobody's ever come into my office in 35 years of ministry. Pastor, pastor, my wife and I, we haven't been getting along this week and my kids are backsliding because we had this discussion. Is it 50 million years or 10 million years that it took for God to create the world? No, that's not the reason their family's having problems. It doesn't matter how long. It matters how. So there's the first blank that you can fill in this morning. More important than how long it took God to make the world is how he did it. How did he do it? Second line there, chapters, uh, Genesis chapter 1 records God speaking at least 15 times. And some of these blanks are pretty short, so you've got you to write in five font, or you can just write it anywhere here, okay? Genesis 1, God is listed, is recorded as speaking 15 times. And I hope you are taking notes, because it's important. As you do that, you'll see the words, you'll think the words, and you'll remember them. Fifteen times. God said, let there be light. God called the light day. God said, let there be an expanse. God called the expanse sky. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered. God called the dry land, uh, the dry ground land. God said, God called, God saw, God said. God said, and it was so. That is an incredibly powerful truth that's fundamental to how we live the Christian life. God said it, and it's so. When God releases words, there's power in them 
to create. There's power in them to accomplish the very thing that he has said. What do, what's one thing we call the Bible? God's word. God's word. But the casual way we approach this at times, debating it as if we can sit there and say, well, maybe this, maybe not that. And, you know, I heard one minister said to me, it's time for a new New Testament. In other words, we want to rewrite some of it because we don't agree with it. How dare you? It's God's word. And you, as soon as you untie the anchor of your soul from that foundational belief, your journey is going to go a long way off track. You are beginning a journey to becoming lost. As soon as you let go of the fact that it's God's word, and when he says it, he will do it, and he has the power in those words. And when you agree with what he said, you release power into the spiritual atmosphere. You can literally change the spiritual environment in your soul, in your family, and in this room. It's why I, it's why I was not behaving myself earlier in worship. It was all on point. It was to make a point. Sing, like the song says, everyone sing. Now, this is not a sequence, but I'm just going to say it, but I want to conclude with these kind of words, but I'm going to hit them right now. Do you understand that your words can open and close heaven over people's lives? Do you, do you know that when you come into church and you say, oh, I'm a bit tired today. Oh, I've been gardening. Oh, yeah, I've been gardening you know, all day yesterday, and man, I didn't get the garage cleaned out. You know, we're thinking about where we were yesterday and where we're going because the weather's finally good and all that. And when you come in and you're casual in worship and ah, a little tired, and you just we listen to the music as if we're at a concert and we think we have the right to not engage in worship, which is an absolute offense to God. We're here to worship him, to tell him, if not for him, my life would be a mess. Yeah, I had to earn that money. I got that job. I got that education. But without him, I wouldn't be here being who I am today. By the grace of God, I am who I am. Are you with me on that one? Amen. Okay, thank you. Now I can move on to the next point. Remember that? Just keep remembering that. I'm not angry. I'm just excited. But when you do that, you open heaven around in the room. When you come into agreement and speak that the atmosphere changes. Now, today, the topic is praying out loud. Not praying loud, but praying out loud. There's a difference. I'm an animated person. I just, I'm sorry, I can't do the platform today. I got to get closer. And, uh, but I'm, I can be loud. But we're not talking personality type here, please. You may not give yourself a break this morning by saying, well, that's Terry. He's, you know, he's the type A. He's the this on a Berkman. He's a green and blue, and I'm a, a yellow and red, or I'm a Myers-Briggs. You know, I'm an I. He's an E. You cannot give yourself a break on this. You don't have to be like someone else. Personality type is hardwired, but you are still called to sing out loud even if you're not going to win any awards you're still called to pray out loud you're still called to obey 
regardless of your personality type. I didn't even get one amen, but I got a couple of nods somewhere. When I was uh, in the middle of a revival, it was right about this time, 1994, that the Holy Spirit began showing up in powerful ways in our lives and in our church. And it was the Pentecost Sunday, wouldn't, wouldn't go figure, uh, that the Holy Spirit broke out in power on the children's ministry while I was preaching. And the uh, head usher came and was doing timeout sign, like a football timeout sign right there, while I'm preaching. And I'm like, I'm trying to convince everybody that the power of God is coming. And they finally walked up, stopped me in the middle of the message, said, Pastor, really sorry, just wanted you to know that downstairs, the Spirit of God's moving. Kids are falling down under the power. We've never seen it. They're prophesying. They're speaking in tongues. In the children's ministry. That young lady, Abby, her mother, my daughter, was there. She's now 35 years old. She was 12 at the time, and she said, Dad, it was real. How do we know? They were, all of a sudden, these kids just were bursting out, praising the Lord, prophesying, speaking in unknown languages. For centuries, the people of Israel were waiting for God to come in a new way. And after Jesus came, who is the living word, he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the initial sign that God was with them infusing them with new power, they spoke. They spoke. Imagine if on the day of Pentecost, they walked out of the upper room and went, you know, pantomiming what had happened in their prayer meeting. No, it was the release of the words that explained what God was doing. That was the tipping point. That was the starter's pistol for a move of the Holy Spirit that hasn't stopped yet. Hasn't stopped yet. I'm going to control myself a little bit here this morning and save some of those stories for Pentecost Sunday. But everything you can see, feel, or touch was brought into, the, into existence by the power of words. And the story I was getting at there a moment ago was during that time of revival, I, uh, I uh, helped out with one of the Pensacola traveling um, uh, ministry things called Awake America. So if you are familiar, if these names mean nothing to you, don't worry about it. But John Kilpatrick and Michael Brown and, and others, uh, Tommy... Tommy, um, oh, God, I can't remember his last name, from Buffalo, big ministry there, Orchard Park. So I was helping out, and they had a leadership meeting. So here, here we go. We've been two years into this so-called revival in Florida, plus the one in Toronto, and they have a minister's meeting. So you've got hungry, frustrated, just wanting to see God move ministers. 700 showed up. And I walked in a little late in this uh, kind of convention center in Niagara Falls, it was. And they had the room set up as a bigger room than this. And 700 Pentecostal ministers 
I only say the word Pentecostal because of what happened next. They were worshiping, and it came at a time where the leader said, now let's all sing in the Spirit. And 700 all engaged as loud as they could, singing in a spiritual language at the same time. When I walked into the room, I felt it. It actually pushed me back for a moment. And I went, whoa, I want to get in on this river. Heaven was released in a tangible, powerful, present way because 700 people came into agreement to open their mouth and praise God at the same time. Isn't that awesome? Listen, I know different churches have different personalities. I understand that, like people do. But when you choose to not engage, you don't have to be heard by others even, but when you choose to not engage in singing, in praying, in worshiping. I don't lift my hands. My wife does, but I don't. When you, when you just don't do that, even when the song says, we lift up our hands, and you somehow think it's okay just to say the words, but do nothing, you are helping to keep the door closed to the presence of God. What happens if somebody comes in here for the first time and you're worshiping, and they say, what is that? This is more than singing. What is that? Then you say, this is what it is, and you lead them to Jesus. The stakes are really high on this, to learn how to worship and pray out loud. The stakes are really high. During that time, when it came to our church, we had a period of time, and I don't ask me why these things ebb and flow. I don't know. But I do remember that during one service when we were really worshiping. And I just felt, I need to stop and, and, and give chance to pray. And I stopped. I said, anyone want to pray out loud right now? You know, that can be a bad thing to do in the middle of service. You don't know who's going to stand up and say what, right? I had one guy once stand up and point his finger at me and say, woe to the shepherds that scatter the sheep. Okay, that was great. <laughs> So you never know what you're going to unleash in those moments. But I really felt the Holy Spirit saying, so a guy I'd never met almost jumps right up. It's about where Frank and Kathy are, about that far away. He just starts praying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Come into my life. And he got saved in the spot. And I thought, wow, how did I do that? Was it like, let's pray? Or was it, you know, <laughs> it had nothing to do with that. I found out after that while we were worshiping, he felt an electric shock go through his body, or what he described, and said, I was sure God was going to kill me. <laughs> he was sure he's a sinner. He, he, when he told me what he'd been doing, I agreed. There was no doubt about that. But somehow, the manifestation of God's presence was opened over the room and contacted his body. And his only reasonable response was to stand up and say, save me, God. <laughs> now, I love altar calls like that. And that's the only time that's happened. Well, there's one other time when I went to pray for someone, but not in a service. But when I think of, you know, Jesus said, I give you keys to Peter. What you bind shall be bound. What you loose shall be loose. What was he talking about? He was talking about, he was talking about forgiveness, first of all. When you choose to say, I forgive you, you open heaven over somebody's life. 
When you say, I worship you in church, you are building the strength of the presence in that room. Even Jesus couldn't do all the healings he wanted one day because there was unbelief in the room. Wow. It's putting your faith into action. Being passive in a worship service. Being passive in a prayer meeting. What I mean by that is not participating in any way physically. Just agreeing in your mind but not participating makes a difference. Okay. Take a breath, Bone, and let's move on. Luke 137. Luke 137. I'm going to pick up where Louisa and Melissa left off. Wasn't that a good message last week? Yeah, I love listening to my wife preach. She knows when to stand up, speak up, and when to stop. She's still teaching me that last one. Luke 137 says what? Nothing is impossible with God. I don't know why they translated it that way. And I'm not one of these guys that gets nitpicky about Greek. Sometimes we get into the etymology of the root meaning of a word, and we're getting off track because these, these letters were written to simple people. When it says, you know, everyone, it means everyone. <laughs> you know? But there are times when the translators weaken the original message by their choice of words. And the meanings of words change over time, too. So we do need this study. We do need scholars. And in Luke 137, it literally doesn't say thing. Nothing's impossible. That's not what the Greek says. The word is rhema. Who knows that word rhema? Know where I'm going, okay? If you're a Bible study person, you should know that. There's logos, which is the embodiment of an idea. They're both translated word, but one's the embodiment of an idea. That's Logos. Jesus was the embodiment of everything God has thought and done. But rhema is a declaration or a, or a directive. It is a word that's uttered. It's from a living voice that says something that has meaning and direction to it. So rhema is a powerful word. And literally, Luke 137 says, no rhema of God can fail. <sighs> oh. Man, I've been feeding on that one all week. No, Rhema. If you want to break it down even further, no living voice coming from God is without the power to accomplish it. If you want to break it right down into its tiniest parts, hear me again. No living voice uttered from God is without the power to accomplish it. It cannot be without power. Isn't that awesome? And that makes sense because Mary was saying, how am I going to have a baby when I'm a virgin? And the response is, no word like the word you just got from heaven. No, nothing God says is without the power to do it. Sometimes we hear God say something and go, oh, now what have I got to do? No, 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 no. What you got to do is just surrender to the word and let him reveal how he's going to do it. There's power in his word. And you and I have been invited to participate in that power as we release words into the atmosphere. So, nothing uttered by God's living voice can be without the power to be accomplished. We're going to show a video now because... 
our next part of the message here is about the power that you and I have with words. Within our words, an unseen power is set in motion. The tongue is a small thing, but like a tiny spark can set a great force on fire. Once spoken, our words begin blazing a trail through the hearts and lives of those around us. One kind word can demolish guilt. It can inspire hope. But the same words have also embraced hatred and executed innocence. Once spoken, our words scorch through feelings and emotions on a level that only they can produce. Your words set up a chain of events beyond your control and of which you will never know. One word can destroy beliefs, harden hearts, or cultivate hatred. But they can also demonstrate faith, display forgiveness, and nurture love. The power of life and death lies in a single word, and we, the image of God, have this power in one word. And you, the image of God, have this power in one word. It's a, it's a low-res video <laughs> downloaded from, video, from YouTube. It's a low-res video with a high-res message. One word. Word. I did not have a father who understood this. He was not a Christian. Dad, do you believe the Bible? Yeah, everybody believes the Bible. Dad, do you pray? Prayers for old ladies that have nothing left in their life. Hey, I'm just quoting. I don't believe that. You know, that was my spiritual nurture as I grew up. I got saved. My parents got worried about me because I became a fanatic. They weren't worried about the marijuana plant in the bedroom. That's when it was illegal. But they were worried I was going to church five nights a week. And there was a big, big emotional vacuum in my heart as a teenager. And one day, a guy like Steve Law, who just loves kids and youth, he was driving some of us home from the youth meeting, and he had taken an interest in me in a very healthy and holy way to see me grow in the Lord. And as I was getting out of the car Friday night, and I was just going to get home, and he just reached out, just touched me. He says, just a minute, Terry. He says, look at me. I looked at him, and he said these words. He said, God bless you, my son. Now, that sounds pretty trite. Every time I sneeze, somebody says, bless you, which annoys me because allergy season. I'm like, they're just reminding me. But when he said, God bless you, my son, something released into my heart because it was backed up with, with, with action. And I knew that Bart was saying, I'm there for you. I understand where you're coming from. I'll be here. I'm with you. I'm on your side. I'm pulling for you. I'm rooting for you. But what he said was this power-packed zip file. It got into my soul. And 38 years later, I still remember it. Isn't that awesome? The power of words. Blaze, your words blaze a trail through the hearts and lives of those around you. Your words can damage people. Your words can write a message. Parents, be careful. You're not just communicating information. You're writing a message of identity and worth on that little heart. And so often as teens, we correct, 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 because we see that's not a healthy thing. Now you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do this. Why don't you do that? But if you get correction without affirmation, it feels like cursing. 
I'm going to say that again. Correction without affirmation feels like cursing. It goes to the heart of who we are. And most of us need five words of affirmation for every word of correction for us to get it balanced in our heart. I don't know. The positive words, it's like Teflon, and the negative words is like Velcro. (laughs) They stick quicker. And our words have power to build up the belief system of those around us, one way or the other. Romans 10, 1 to 10. It's a very famous passage. And it says in uh, verses 9 and 10, it's talking about how a person gets saved. We have to have a preacher. How, How can they become... How can they become a follower if someone doesn't tell them? I work in a, in a nation, most crowded nation on earth, which is 90% Muslim. And my ministry develops, trains, releases overseas eight evangelists in that nation. And it's so amazing. Every month they're telling me about people getting baptized that never heard the name of Jesus. But as soon as we tell them who he is, they go... That makes sense. I've been a Muslim all my life. I know there's one true God. I know I shouldn't worship idols like the Hindus do. But this Jesus, he, he can forgive my sins. That's amazing. They hear the word, they get saved the first time. Some of these guys have become my friends. Through a translator, we have fellowship because they heard the name of Jesus. So how will they hear if we don't preach? But then it says, a man or a woman, you believe, believes in his heart and is justified, confesses with their mouth and they're saved. Paul makes it really clear that without words, the plan of salvation can't happen. It's not complete. Here's the blank. What you believe in your heart must be matched with what you say in your mouth. Wow. I remember that night that I became a Christian standing beside the cash register in the camp store up near Gravenhurst, Ontario. And I'd been deliberately breaking all the rules of the camp all week long to see what these crazy Christians would do to me. And they were really annoying me because no one would react. You have to wear shoes? I'm in bare feet the whole time. Can't stay out of this? I just just went at this. 15, thinking I'm running the world. And uh, they were having prayer meetings for me every night. <laughs> so finally, I, I gave in on the Friday night, last night of the camp, and I said to Humphrey Duncanson, big African-American from Long Island, a guest preacher there, we're standing there, I'm looking up at Humphrey, and I said, Humphrey, you guys are just amazing. I want to be a Christian. And he says, well, you need to pray. And I said, can I pray silently? Like, I'm embarrassed. I don't know how to do this. Okay, I'm, I'm not a Christian, and, you know, all, my prayers are just, you know, like at night, you know, Lord, I lay me down to sleep all rolled up in a little heap or whatever. That's all I remember from my kid, kid days. And, and he looks at me and says, no, I want you to pray out loud, because I need to know you're not tricking us with this as well. I need to know this is real. He says, I want to hear you pray. And I remember those moments as I opened my mouth after believing in my heart. That's when the Holy Spirit came. I'd been believing for about 30 hours at that point. But when I opened my mouth, said, Jesus, I need to be forgiven. 
the transaction occurred at that moment. It's like when you're trying to pay on the Square or PayPal or whatever online, you're going all the way through and you've put in the information. And I thought I bought something the other day, but I hadn't scrolled up and hit the enter and it didn't happen and I missed out on the deal. It's like we think we've done it all because we've agreed and we've checked it off in our mind and heart. But until you say it with your mouth, you haven't hit enter. You haven't sent that information out to heaven. There, that's how you express your faith. Faith is expressed in our words, of course, in our actions as well. Now in Deuteronomy 21.8 we see that the words of Old Testament priests had legal authority. And I want to go by this real quick. Uh, we'll come back to it another time. It's part of our, our blessing series. But it says that they ministered to the Lord, um, mediated disputes, and pronounced blessings. So there's three directions. Earth to earth, earth to heaven, heaven to earth. And in each of those, they had legal authority. Their words were speaking on behalf of a higher authority. And when you agree with what God is saying, you are speaking with the authority of the one who originated those words. Number 6, 23 to 27. That's the ironic blessing, not ironic, ironic blessing. And we know it, you know, Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you, etc. But at the beginning and the end, the bumpers to that passage says... These are the words you will use, and at the end, thus will my name be upon my people. God said, if you will say the words I give to you as a blessing on my behalf, I'm actually going to move heaven and place spiritual essence upon God's people. You can release the power of God on people's lives. When you have this sense of God wants to do something in their life, and you start blessing that, not in a manipulative way, but in a response to God, you open heaven over their life. For some reason, it was important for Aaron to look at that million people and just start, raise his hands and, and pronounce those words. And God said, that's how I'm going to put my name upon my people. On the back page, worship requires more than words, but it's incomplete without words. Jesus said, out of the overflow of a person's heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus gave nothing but high praise for those who prayed out loud. You can read some of those passages yourself. I want to put the last blanks here. Here's your takeaway thought as the worship team comes, please. Turn your thought life into your prayer life. I'm asking everybody that's got the notes, please make sure you got that one filled in and think about that and do something about that this week. Turn your thought life into your prayer life. One excellent way is to get prayer walking. You've probably passed the neighbor's many times and either wondered what was going on or heard what was going on or felt bad about what was going on, will turn your thought life into your prayer life. It's a great way to overcome temptation as well because you don't overcome thoughts with thoughts. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him, the saints overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb, that's faith in Jesus, and the word of their testimony. In a time of huge persecution, the answer was agreeing with God out loud and setting the rudder of your ship. It's making sure that your mind is being living within the boundaries of what God says for your life. And when we pray, just finally, here, here's, here's, here's some advice. Don't pray the problem. I was in a prayer meeting in another 
town from where I live, some high-level ministry people. I wanted to be around them and kind of get some of that rubbing off on me. And some others were doing this weekly prayer at 6 a.m., so I'd have to get up, drive, be there by 6. I was all excited. But you know what? The first 15 minutes was talk. And then the next 15 minutes was Brother Bob, who would always start the prayer, and he would always pray yesterday's news. Oh, Lord, you, Lord, you know that yesterday the NDP party did this, Lord, and then that person said this, Lord, and then this one, and Lord, you know how this is happening. And I'm just like, I'm wanting to scream. I said, I didn't get up this early to sit here and listen to you reprise the news. Do you think God, you know, doesn't get home delivery or something? He knows. He read the paper. We don't have to just pray the problem. Sometimes we just pray that out of fear or worry. Some of our prayers are just verbal worry. Then some of our prayers are us as our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. My will be done as I hope you are listening in heaven. <laughs> oh Lord, you know, She's depressed today, and I just pray, you know, she's got this neighbor, and she's a nice person, and why don't you just have her go over it? Maybe if somebody just gave her flowers today, and you're like, you really think you need to tell heaven what to do right now? Come before God. Get silent. Get a will alignment. Listen. Worship. Focus. Then start praying out of those thoughts. Start declaring what God's going to do. I'm going to hit this one last time, then we're going to worship. There are times when your words are all that stands between life and death. There was a time in 1995 when we got a message. Terry, you need to come. This person close to us has left a suicide note. We can't find them. Went to their apartment, stickies all around. I leave this to this one, this to this, a will, a six-page will. Please look after my dog. The food's in the fridge. Like this was a pre-planned serious attempt, and the person was gone. This person was a backslidden Christian. I'm related to them. We love them. Nobody in my immediate family. And we went home. And my wife was upset. I was upset. We called Melissa's mom. She was a prayer warrior. She's gone off to her reward now. And my wife and my mom got the same scripture at the same time in two different towns. Got on the phone. My, my mother law called and said, you know what? I took this to prayer, and I heard the Lord say, this is not unto death, but unto the glory of God. And my wife had just been reading the same passage. I thought this would be easier to get through. It happened a long time ago. Anyways, I went downstairs in my house, and I haven't prayed like that very often. But I called the devil to attention. And I said, you listen to me. 
You listen to me. I'm talking to the devil right now. I said, you listen to me. You can't have her. Take your hands off her right now. Now, I prayed that a whole lot louder and a whole lot longer till I was done. And I just came up and I said, it's settled. It's settled. We had the legal right in the name of Jesus because of our relationship to that person and because of God revealing his will for the situation in the name of Jesus. About, uh, I had to preach the next morning. My sermon was on <laughs> pre-planned, waiting on God. Everybody said, wow, that was powerful this morning, Pastor. <laughs> I didn't tell them why. That afternoon, we got a call. They'd found her in her car out in the park. What had happened was she'd taken enough pills to kill a horse, but for some reason vomited them up and was not able to finish the deed. So at that point, all loopy, not able to drive, not able to finish it off, just sat there until she recovered and said, like, oh, can't even do this right. We drove to her, her place. Police had taken her home. I'll never forget this. My wife walked in. She grabbed her by the shoulders. She said, you are supposed to live. She just shook her and spoke it over and over. You are supposed to live. You will live. That person's living today. And finally coming back to Jesus. Sorry for, sorry for the waterworks here. Look, heaven's real, hell's real. How dare we sit in church with our mouth closed for the whole service and walk out and think we've done God a favor by showing up. He needs your prayers. You need to find a person, a place, and a time to pray with someone. Heaven depends on it. Amen. Please stand with me. And what I'm going to do is I'm aware of the time. And I know this doesn't always work smoothly. We're going to sing one song and then we're going to dismiss. But we're going to keep singing. And I'm going to invite those who want to stay after the first song. Come on forward. And those who want to visit please get out into the lobby. That's okay too. But I think there's some spiritual business here. Maybe you have a loved one too that you need to make a declaration over today. It might not be near as dramatic as I told you about, but you don't stop declaring into the situation the word of the Lord and the power of God, and it will turn around. It might take longer than you ever dream, but it will happen. Now, one more thing, a business I didn't take care of earlier. I forgot to show the video about our youth at Overflow, and I want us all to pray for them right now, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that our youth are at a, at a convention right now called Overflow where thousands of youth are gathering to worship you with power, with praise, with upstretched arms. And I am praying that there would be such a strong encounter on our youth that are there right now and this weekend that are coming back in a few hours. I pray that even 
this morning, this would be a day that, that people speak in tongues, where they get healed, where they hear your voice for the first time or the second time, where they, they receive a call, where their passion is ignited. Lord, we pray that they would come home and not be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one more. I want you to close your eyes for a moment, please. And no looking through your fingers, like I said earlier. Who here would say, Pastor, I need to get over my fear of praying out loud. And I'm just willing by putting up my hand to say, I'm going to try that out this week. I'm going to start praying out loud when I'm with my wife, my husband, my daughter, my friends. Somewhere, I'm going to pray out loud this week. If that's you, put up your hand because you're breaking the shame or fear barrier. So, Father, I thank you for those with their hands raised up right now. And we declare in Jesus' name that there will become an ease and a confidence and a joy in praying. Amen. You can put your hands down. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you've never prayed before, you meet me up here and we'll talk about that because I know what it's like to be there. And I think we're all part of this church family, but in case I'm missing that, you come and talk to me and we'll, we'll have a little chat. So I want to bless you. Let's sing this song together and then we'll dismiss.